Welcome to IAAI's July 2010 CFITrainer.net podcast. This month's podcast is devoted to a roundtable spotlighting some of the latest research and technical activities that impact fire investigation. Our participants are Daniel Madrakowski from NIST, Stephen Kerber from Underwriters Laboratory, and Dr. Fred Maurer from Cal Poly. Our roundtable is moderated by Dan Madrakowski. The roundtable begins now. Welcome to the podcast today. This is Daniel Madrakowski. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll start off with uh, some questions for Steve today. The Underwriters Laboratory was founded back in uh, 1894, and they're well-known around the world for their uh, product safety test standards and their certification and evaluation programs. But lately, it seems that Underwriters has been conducting quite a bit of research directly related to conditions on the fire ground. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this change and, and some of the recent projects? Absolutely. You all is fortunate to have a number of resources that are very good for fire testing and also work out very well for for uh, doing projects for the fire service and, and things of that scale. Uh, we were awarded several Department of Homeland Security grants through their research program. Uh, some of them include lightweight construction, looking at the collapse of lightweight construction, uh, a smoke particulate study, looking at the hazards of uh, overhaul, and also uh, horizontal ventilation, ventilation on the fire ground. So you mentioned a study on uh, fire exposure for uh, smoke particulates. How would the findings in that report have any impact on fire investigators? Well, there's there's several places where I think the fire investigators can, can benefit from the results. Uh, just a, a quick overview on the project. It was uh, broken into four areas. Uh, the first one was, was small scale. There we ran uh, 42 different materials that you would commonly find in and around your home. Uh, through cone calorimeter tests as well as smoke box tests to, to get an idea on the small scale of, of what hazards are in the home today and what heat release rates are and what smoke production rates are. The second piece of that, that grant was to step it up to what we'll call large-scale tests. Uh, we burned several living rooms, uh, bedroom, kitchen, an attic, uh, a couple of deck scenarios with uh, – pressure-treated wood as well as some of the synthetic material wood and a couple of automobiles. And what we were looking at was to drive those rooms to flash over and then suppress them. And the focus was to examine 30 minutes of overhaul after suppression. So we looked at what was in the smoke, uh, all the different materials, all the different uh, metals, all the different smoke concentrations, looking for anything that would cause adverse health effects and uh, taking all kinds of different samples and uh, instrumenting firefighters while they conducted the overhaul. There's a couple of conclusions that came out of that, and I think probably one of the most significant ones for the investigation community is that more than 99% of the smoke particles collected during the overhaul were less than one micron in diameter. And uh, the thing about ultrafine particles is that more than 97% of them are too small to be seen by the naked eye. So areas that you think may be clear of smoke, uh, in fact, have are saturated with particles. So clean air isn't necessarily clean air. The third piece of the, the project was to step it up from the small scale to the large scale to actual fire events. We trained a team of firefighters. UL sent an engineer to ride along with, with this team of firefighters 
And essentially, we chased fires around the, the south side of the city, and we would send uh, trained Chicago Fire Department firefighters in instrumented to uh, stand next to the firefighters at actual fires and measure the overhaul gases while they were conducting overhaul. And the engineers from UL and a couple other firefighters would use an open path uh, FTIR device outside of the structure, which we could shoot into the the flames and measure what was in the smoke between the uh, measurement device and the flames themselves. Then the final piece of the project was our partner in the project, which was the University of Cincinnati Medical School. Uh, UL, we really don't have any uh, medical resources to be able to determine what the impact of all of these different particles and, and gas concentrations would be. Uh, but they have experts in this field that have been conducting research here for quite some time. And uh, related to the ultrafine particles, uh, that pretty much ultrafine particles have a very high uh, surface-to-mass ratio. So they can also make it extremely far down into the bloodstream almost directly. And uh, they can be deposited very deep into the lung tissue and result in direct transfer of air toxins in the air, metals, PAH is all carried by the particles and therefore get transferred quickly into the bloodstream, causing problems in the cardiovascular system, the nervous system, or the liver. So you also mentioned a test series on the impact of horizontal firefighting ventilation for single-family homes. Can you tell us a little bit about that study and some of your findings? Sure. We wanted to look at how fire behaviors changed over time, both with fuel loads transitioning from natural materials to synthetic materials, as well as houses changing in geometry. All the modern houses being built are sort of transitioning from uh, smaller square footage ranch houses with a lot of compartments, a lot of walls, everything separated by doors, to larger two-story houses. And in our case, it was a uh, 3,200 square foot two-story colonial type house with an open floor plan and two-story spaces. So there was a two-story gray room as well as a two-story foyer. So we uh, ran a series of 16 tests. Yeah, eight of the tests were in the, the smaller ranch house. So we had a 1,200-square-foot ranch house in our lab. And right next to that, we had the larger two-story house. Some of the important things for the fire investigators, based on all of these tests that we did, and, and the results will be available on our website soon, fire behaviors changed significantly. And uh, if you have a fire bottled up in a, in a living room that's got surrounded by doors that pass into the other rooms, your fire behavior is going to be much different than it is in a 17-foot ceiling grate room that's open to pretty much every room on the first floor and directly open to all the bedrooms on the second floor. The basis was to examine the, the fire department operations and uh, look at what they're traditionally taught on where they're supposed to vent and, and when they're supposed to vent. And that's going to change the fire growth. That's going to change the patterns they see afterwards. And uh, I think this, the outcome of this project, uh, the fire investigator will be able to look at and, and gain some insight as to what they see every day out on the street. So uh, those are those are some really significant projects. Do you have anything new coming up? Well, we've got two big projects we're working on right now. Uh, one is in partnership with NIST, where we're doing some additional lightweight construction research. 
And then the newest piece, which we were just awarded from the Department of Homeland Security as well, is uh, firefighter safety as it pertains to photovoltaic solar panels. And we're going to go through a series of tests uh, combining some of our fire expertise and some of our electrical expertise to look at uh, what happens if a if a firefighter sticks a pike pole into a solar panel? What happens if he sprays water on it? Uh, how well do firefighter gloves protect the firefighter or the boots? How do they protect the firefighter? Uh, what happens if you cut into a conduit with your, your power saw on the roof? Or what happens if you start hitting the components with large amounts of water and the panels begin to break? What hazard can that cause? And then what does the fire department do to interact with the with the photovoltaic panels, what can you do to shut them off? There's only two things that can turn off solar panels, and it's either covering them with a completely opaque tarp or waiting for dark. So uh, anywhere before the inverter and the panels themselves is going to stay live. And that's also important for fire investigators. You get to the scene later on, and you've got uh, some solar panels that are damaged by fire, you have to know what to be able to do to work around them safely. Fantastic. Sounds like a very valuable resource. Uh, with that, we will uh, uh, turn our attention over to uh, Fred Maurer. Fred, uh, thank you for uh, for being on the program today. Uh, you've jumped into this new project, this new job as Director of Fire Protection Programs at uh, Cal Poly. Um, is this a brand new program, or, or it's just getting started, or what's what's its status? Yes, uh, we have just started a new graduate program in fire protection engineering at Cal Poly. Uh, the graduate program leads to a master's of science degree. So why the West Coast? Why California? First of all, there, there's the two existing graduate programs in fire protection engineering are located at the University of Maryland and at WPI, which is in Massachusetts and both of those are along the East Coast. And uh, certainly with the growth of the Western United States for the past few decades in particular, there is uh, an increasing need for educational programs in fire protection engineering along the West Coast. I think uh, California is also a logical choice because of the problems it experiences annually with wildland fires and with fires at the wildland-urban interface. Um, and really, the, the final and perhaps the most important reason uh, to do this in California right now is that the institution of Cal Poly uh, has, has shown a, uh, a distinct interest in this program. And uh, Cal Poly is one of the best engineering schools in the country. That all makes sense and sounds, uh, sounds very exciting. Who's the program open to? You know, generally speaking, the program is open to students who hold a bachelor's of science degree in one of the engineering disciplines or in a closely related technical field, fields such as physics, chemistry, or applied mathematics. Um, qualified students who, who may not have the necessary background to get admitted to the master's of science program can also enroll in some of our individual courses through what's known as the Open University Program at Cal Poly. And, and this is where I think a number of investigators um, who, who may not uh, qualify for the 
whole program may be interested in coming in and taking some of the courses, uh, for instance, in fire modeling or in fire dynamics that uh, are important to their uh, um, practice uh, in, in fire investigation. And this, this is a good way for some of these students who may be borderline in terms of whether they can get admitted to the program or not uh, to actually demonstrate that they've got the skills necessary to complete the full program successfully. Very, very neat, very neat. Given your background in fire, in fire investigations, I know that you, as you have, you know, come up while you were in school and everything, you've been involved in, in some very major uh, fire investigations. How do you see uh, your program uh, relating to, to or being involved potentially in fire investigations and that kind of thing? Well, I guess I come at fire investigations from the standpoint of an engineer who's, who's really trying to look at uh, differences between expected and observed performance of buildings under fire conditions. And that's really what engineers, I think, largely bring to the table. To that end, you know, this program, like other fire protection engineering programs, really has two tracks. Uh, the, on one hand, the program focuses on the fundamental fire sciences. That includes topics like fire dynamics, flammability of materials, fire modeling, um, but it also focuses on fire protection app systems and applications, such as fire detection and alarm systems, fire suppression systems, and structural fire protection. So by understanding the context of, of what is expected within a building and then coupling that with what was the actual performance of a building under fire conditions, um, I, I think that these are uh, all valuable tools to help the investigator or the engineer understand how fires start and how they spread in buildings and other structures. Given the newness of, of the program, the fact it's just starting um, this fall, I'm going to ask you to sort of look in your crystal ball a little bit. What do you see on the horizon for the program? Where would you like to see the program go? Well, certainly with respect to the fire investigation field, uh, I want to see more collaboration. Uh, I would like for the fire investigators, particularly on the West Coast, to view this program as a as a resource and, and the people within the program as a resource. Fred, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, thank you both very much. This is uh, Dan Madrakowski, and uh, thank you. More information on the research projects mentioned in this podcast is available on this podcast page. That concludes this IAAI CFITrainer.net podcast. We'll see you again next month.